So, um, I just want to let you know that I am God's gift to you. And if you're new to Hope Church, uh, I I hope that I can prove to you that I'm not as arrogant as I've just come off to be. Uh, Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, and it's on uh, page 897 of the Chair Bible. I want to read you a couple of verses. There's a couple of, of cultural, pop cultural ideas that are very strong, not just in our culture, but in the church. And one of those, one of those pop cultural ideas is that when you need to get ministry done in a church, you hire a pastor to do it. You, you need to hire, if you have youth and you want to do youth ministry, you hire a youth pastor to do ministry, youth ministry, right? And so there, this is a very strong, you know, pull. And yet the Scripture says something quite different. And I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Paul writes this. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. See, I am a gift that God has given to the church. (laughs) You understand now the context. And then verse 12 is really what I want you to focus on. So the responsibility of all of these and the pastors, teachers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. So the pastor, the staff, their responsibility isn't to do the ministry. Their responsibility is to build up the, fel- the folks, right, the people to do the ministry. So it's to equip the people to do the ministry. So that's, that's a really important thing to understand. By the way, just so you know, I used to tell my, my mother that I was a gift to her, too. Usually at times when I wasn't such a gift. But I would say to her, Joni, she hated when I called her Joni, and I would say, I am God's gift to you. And she, the first time I did that, she said, I don't think you're God's gift to me. And I said, well, you named me Matthew, and Matthew means gift of God. So there you go. You brought it on yourself. (laughs) So we used to kid kid about that. But the point is, one of the cultural teachings in Scripture, or one of the cultural, pop cultural things that we picked up is that when you need ministry done, you hire somebody to do it. But the Bible says, no, you hire somebody to equip people to do the ministry you you get a pastor you get somebody there to equip people so that's the first cultural push that we have to uh, push back on and that's what we really want to do push back on some of these ideas the second one is this that we are told by our pop culture that true freedom comes when you can do whatever you want whenever you want with whoever you want for as long as you want In other words, you can do whatever I want. And that's what people think and what our culture pretty much says. No strings attached. I can do whatever I want. And that's the definition of freedom. But as the passage we're going to look at basically is going to say this. No, freedom doesn't come when you do whatever you want with whoever you want. You know, all that. Freedom comes when you hitch yourself 
to Christ. When you put yourself on the altar and say, I'm all in, I'm on the altar for you, that's where freedom comes. Now, our world doesn't understand that. And that's kind of what Paul is going to address. And the passage we're going to be focusing on this morning is Romans chapter 12. So if you'd like to turn to Romans 12, it's 866 in your chair Bible. Let me just give you a quick context of Romans 1 through 11. So in Romans 1 through 11, Paul is essentially saying, God has revealed himself to the world. Whether you're a Gentile or a Jewish person, you, God, they have an innate understanding that there is somebody behind this world. The, the, the creation screams of it. Our inner being screams of it. And, and essentially what Paul makes a case for is he says, there is so much of a witness, a testimony, the finger, the print of God in this world that men and women and young people are without excuse. They can't say, I didn't know. That's essentially what Paul says. And then he just starts talking about the problem we all have, and it's a problem of sin. That we're all born not with a clean slate, but we're born sinners. We don't sin the first time and then become sinners. We are born sinners and we sin because we're born sinners. And then he talks about the solution to that. And the solution to that is that Christ came from heaven to earth. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should have died. He gave his life to pay the price for our sin. And he changes us from the inside out. He gives us a new heart. And He transforms our lives from the inside out. He, he opens our eyes. He turns our heart. And, and, and so sin is conquered not by us trying harder, not by us going to the right church or believing certain things, but sin comes when we call upon Christ and we say, I'm lost, I'm a sinner, I'm helpless, and I'm hopeless. And when, when we call upon the Lord, He sets us free. And, and then Paul says, and we now have peace with God. We weren't at peace with God, but now we have peace with God. And so we come to chapter 11, excuse me, chapter 12, and Paul comes to a point. He says, okay, because of all that I've said up to this point, now I've showed you what God has done, who you are, your state and sin, God's solution, how you can be made with right with God. Now the question is, how do you live? How should you live? So he comes to Romans chapter 12. Let me read you that passage starting at verse 1. Paul writes this. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that He has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind He will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship Him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So, if you are a person that underlines in your Bible, you should underline those verses on your your phone, your smartphone, whatever. You should underline those. Those are incredibly important verses. I could spend a month just on those two verses. We don't have time this morning. Let me read. continue reading. Paul goes on to say, verse 3, "...because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning." Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. 
We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak with, uh, speak out as, uh, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If God has given, uh, given you the gift of serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. So there's three things that we want to talk about from this passage this morning. The first one is Paul basically says, because of all that I've said in chapters 1 through 11, here's what you need to do. You need to live a life of sacrifice. You need to become a living sacrifice. Now, that's a, that's, that's a paradox. How can you be a living sacrifice? Because the, the idea that anyone reading this letter would have thought of is sacrifices are dead. Animals are, are brought and sacrificed and they're killed. They're dead. And so it, it becomes pretty clear. Now, what Paul is doing here is he, is he has shown that the Old Testament system of appeasing God now has been overturned because Jesus came and He was the ultimate, once and for all, sacrifice. And He gave His life on our behalf. He died and took our sin. He took the penalty of our sin. And so He became that once and for all sacrifice. He took our sin. He paid the price with His very life. Now, Paul is not saying that we become sacrifices for Him. And that as we become sacrifices for Him, we earn our way into God's good graces. He, he's, he's saying because of the grace of God and because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we are now set free from the power of sin and death. And we've been given a new standing and a new state. And we are to live as free people, but then comes in the paradox. The paradox is that we live as living sacrifices. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. Now, it's interesting because Paul doesn't say to us, I command you to present yourselves as a living sacrifice to God. He doesn't say that. And Paul is not ashamed to use commands in the imperative mood. He uses it all the time in his letters. In fact, a lot of his epistles, you read the first two or three chapters and it's all indicative move. It's all describing. It's all telling, you know, what, what it is, what God is doing. It's describing. And then you get to the last part of a lot of his letters, Ephesians and Galatians and those letters. And it's now do this. Because of this, now do this. That's essentially how Paul writes a lot of his letters. So it would seem clear that this could be one of those times where Paul could say, now because of all that God has done, you do this. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. What he says is, because of what Christ has done for you, now you do this. Consider yourselves or offer yourselves as a living sacrifice. Why? Because of why what he did for you. So Paul doesn't say, I want to command you to do it. He says, no, 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 no. Go to the cross. Look at what Christ has done on your behalf. Understand what He gave up so that you could live. You see, understand how He served you 
And, 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 and Paul is getting to the heart of the matter. He's saying, I don't want you to do this because I'm commanding you. I want you to do this because you see what he has done for you. And when he breaks your heart, and when you begin to understand how you've been forgiven and how you've been loved and what sacrifice was given for you, you will say, out of gratitude, out of thankfulness, I want to serve you. I want to give to you. He doesn't command us. He calls us to look at how Jesus offered Himself. Notice what He says. He says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God. Why? Because of all that He has done for you. That's your motivation. We're to offer ourselves completely to Him. You know, somebody has said, you probably heard it, the problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar, right? And, and that's part of the problem. To offer yourself as a living sacrifice means that every hour, every day, you're offering some part of yourself to God. Some of you need to offer your tongues to God, your voices to God. Some of you need to offer your hands and your feet to God. Some of you need to offer your wallet to God. There's something in your life that you, you keep wanting to hold back. Maybe a relationship that you need to, you need to put it on the altar and say, I'm giving this relationship over. I'm giving this this career or whatever it is, it's something that you have and you are holding back from God. You're saying, I'm kind of on the altar, but I'm kind of off. It's kind of like I'm on, but I'm not really completely on. And Paul says you need to offer yourself completely to God. Why? Because Jesus offered Himself completely to you. He didn't hold anything back. He got off of His throne. He came to earth and He gave His life. He said, it is finished. He gave His complete life for you. Now here's where we run into our culture and the problems. We, we, we feel like we can offer ourselves, but we offer ourselves in a limited way. To offer yourself to God to live the Christian life means that you give up. And this is where you're going to really feel the current of our pop culture. What Paul is saying is, when you offer yourself to God, which is not for the elite, the Green Beret of Christianity, the Navy SEALs, it's not that. He's saying this is normal operating procedure for those of you that say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. He says, if you call yourself that, then basically you offer yourself to God. And it means this. That you give up the right to choose the way you live. You give up the way you choose to live. You, you instead of saying, I'm see, it comes down to this. When was the last time you said, God, do you want me to do this? God, do you want me to be here? Do you want me to be in this relationship? God, do you want this? Or have you just kind of gone along without no consultation at all? This flies in the face of our pop culture. You put to death the idea that you know best what should happen in your life. You put, the, you put to death the idea that you belong to yourself. That's really what it comes down to. And, and, and it feels like a death to say, God, you know best. I'll trust you. I give up my dreams for your dreams. But this is the upside-down principle of the, of, of the kingdom of God. Until you decide to lose your life, you'll never find it. Jesus says if you want to hold on to your life, you'll lose it. If you give up your life, you'll find life. 
It's totally just counter. There's a lot of Christians that will never find the life plan that God has for them because they will never put themselves completely on the altar. They're always holding back. They're always saying, I can't completely throw myself or put myself up. Or they, they put themselves up on the altar in a moment and quickly jump off when it gets tough, when the deci- tough decisions have to ma- be made. And this is an ongoing thing. Paul uses the present tense and the idea of the continual, that it's, this is not a once and for all thing, it's a continual thing. We have to be involved in it on a regular basis. And you think about it, Jesus offered and basically said, I'm all in. I'm all in for you. Are you all in for me? And that's where the rub comes in in the Christian life. Now, um, Paul gives us, not only does he say, you should do this because just look at what Christ has done for you and that will give you the motivation, but he gives us two good reasons why we should do this. The first one is this. He says to us, this is really the most logical, thoughtful, smart, intelligent thing you could ever do. You know, some translations, maybe your translation is if it's a little more literal translation, it will say, this is your reasonable service. And Paul is saying, this isn't illogical, even though the world might say you're crazy. And that's really what it comes down to. When you say, I'm going to offer myself to God, I'm going to put myself on the altar as a living sacrifice to God, I'm going to give up my dreams, my ambition, and everything, and I'm going to say, God, what's your dream for me? What's your ambition for me? What's your plan for me? When you start to say that, people start calling you names. Maybe you have a family member or friends, and you, you're, you're, you're kind of wanted to head in that direction, or you're heading in that direction, and they're saying to you, they're calling you a Jesus freak, right? That's the culture of the world to say, Jesus is a good side dish, but don't make him the main dish. Don't go crazy for Jesus. That's just nuts. And Paul basically says, I love how uh, the message translates, and it's more of a paraphrase of, of verse 2, where he says, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And, and basically what Paul is saying is, if you make yourself a living sacrifice, the world is going to look at that and say, you're crazy. Why would you do that? If you want to be free, just do whatever you want. Don't tie yourself down to God. And Paul says, when you tie yourself down to God, when you tie yourself to the altar, when you commit yourself fully to God, the world will say, you're crazy. It's going against the current. It's not the way that people uh, should do, you know, should behave. I mean, be a Christian, but let's not go crazy about it, right? I mean, that's essentially what we're talking about. But Paul says that if you're a Christ follower, there's going to be some things that look absolutely foolish to the world. But Paul tells us it's the most reasonable thing you could ever do. See, we bought into this lie of the world. Here's the second thing. Whether you know it or not, you say, well, why should I offer my, myself to God, put myself as a living sacrifice on the altar, and completely be all in? Why should I do that? And the second reason is because you are all in for something or someone. You already have done that. Every one of us is living for someone or something. Every one of us has this one thing that is the thing. 
It's the most important thing. It may be a relationship. It may be a career. It maybe the pursuit of wealth. It could be a whole bunch of things. But there's one thing that has captured our heart. It's captivated us. It drives us. And if you don't know what it is, here's a hint of what it is. If it's ever threatened, you're not going to just have a bad day. You're going to go to pieces. You're going to say, my world is over. What am I going to do? Oh, no. And that's really getting to the heart of it. Now, many times these are good things. It's like, I want to have a family. That's great. But don't make that your God, your thing, your, your ultimate thing. Or if you're a, 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 you know, it's not just men anymore, but a career. Say, yeah, it's great to have a career and want to be, you know, make a difference in your career. But don't make that the thing, the, ult, the ultimate thing that you'll sacrifice yourself for. What I'm saying is, Paul is saying it's the most logical thing to put yourself on the altar and say to Jesus, I'm giving myself completely to you because you gave yourself completely to me. I'm doing that because that's the most logical thing I could do. Even though the world says it's crazy, I know it's logical. But secondly, Paul is saying that whether you know it or not, you are offering. You already are. Don't say, should I offer myself? You already are offering yourself to someone or something. There's only one thing to love that's worthy of that kind of love, that kind of commitment, that kind of heart's pursuit, and it's Jesus Christ. So that's the first thing that Paul says. Secondly, we need to see ourselves and we need to see others as God does. As we offer ourselves to God, we see as He sees. And he says this, he says, I give each of you this warning, don't think... You're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given you. And we often see ourselves in wrong, you know, on a continuum. There's two ways to see ourselves, and they're both, they're both really driven by pride. And it really comes down to this. Some of us see ourselves, we're, we see ourselves better than we really should, <laughs> right? And don't look at the person next to you because they'll, they'll tip them off that you think that they think that way. But... Um, but no, seriously, some, you know people, right, that they, they think they're all that, and they're not, right? Somebody ought to tell them they're not all that. They think they are, right? But then the opposite is the person that thinks terrible about, they, I'm just awful, I'm just terrible, I'm just a piece of dirt, I'm no bigger than a worm. And it's like both of those are pride because what do they both say? Look at me. And Paul says, don't think too highly of yourselves or too lowly of yourselves. So how do you do that? The only way that I think you can do that is you have to understand what Paul has said about the gospel. What does the gospel say? The gospel says that we're sinners, we're lost, we're helpless, and we're hopeless. And without God rescuing us, we're in terrible trouble, right? But the other part of the gospel is that we're loved. And we're so loved that Jesus got off his throne and came to earth and climbed up on a cross and said, I give my life for you. So we're loved, but we're sinners. We're sinners, but we're forgiven, right? And so that's how we balance it out. We, so now we see ourselves as God sees us. We see ourselves as sinners, but loved, right? So we understand that we're, we're, we're culpable and we're capable of doing terrible things, but we know that there is still forgiveness and there's still love that we can always come. You know the prodigal son, the whole story there? But then when we look at other people, we understand this. We understand that we can't look down on other people because they're we could say, well, they're really bad or they're really sinners. And we say, well, wait, that's what I am, right? 
And we say, what could happen? I mean, think about this. Think about people that you maybe wrote off and said, there's no hope for that person. They're, they're, they're too bad. They're too, too far gone. And just say, but where was I? I mean, what would happen to, to this person, to this life, if God were to turn a heart and open their eyes? Would, would things change? Absolutely would. And, and so Paul basically says, don't think too highly, don't think too lowly, but have that balanced view that every one of us is lost and helpless and hopeless, but, but we're loved. And when we call upon the Lord and He opens our eyes and He opens our hearts up, everything changes. And so we view, that we, we look and we understand that beneath the cross the ground is level, that every one of us comes as sinners, not as with a resume that, God bra- that we brag on. We don't brag on anything other than God, other than Jesus Christ. The third thing we see from this passage is that we need to unleash our God-given gifts for His glory. And so Paul's saying because of what God has done, what He's doing in us, we're called to serve. Every believer is called and gifted for service. Alright? Paul says to each, meaning that every Christian has been given a gift and an ability by God to serve others. We are not, ex- we are not to expect that we are all alike because we, we've all been given, given differing gifts. Um, there's no unemployed Christians in the kingdom of God. There, there, there just isn't. The implication is of, of this is that we're not to be passive Christians. We're to be living sacrifices. There's no unemployment within the church. Uh, this means that we're not to come to the church just to recharge our batteries so that we can live and leave as we were. You know, I know there are times where you need, you're burned out and you need to come and get refreshed and encouraged. That's absolutely correct and it's absolutely important. But if all you do is see the church as a battery where you can get charged up and then go home and live selfishly for yourself, and not engage in the giftings and the promptings that God has given you, you misunderstand your role in the church. Um, Instead, it would be great if you came with the idea of, how can I serve? What can I do? How can I use my gifts? And, and, And that's how we should approach it. In other words, you should not come to be served but to serve. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, and as Mark says, to give His life a ransom for many. He was a servant. He was our example. And we are like a body. Every single Christian is like a snowflake. God has uniquely gifted us. And this means that there are people within this community that only you can reach. Have you ever thought about that? I mean... If we take this first idea that we began with, well, if you need ministry done, you hire a pastor to do it. Well, that's great, but the pastor only knows so many people. And the pastor only has so much influence. And he can, You know, I'm sure that within a group like this, you go, you know what, Matt's okay, but I really like Daryl. Or Mark's better. Or, Dar- you know, Nelson is funnier. You know? And it's like, okay, whatever, I don't care. The bottom line is this. The bottom line is we can only touch so many people. We can only minister to so many people. And I only have a few gifts. Maybe I only have a couple gifts. Maybe I have one gift. I don't know. The point is, I am not equipped to do 
the ministry because I don't have all the gifts. But everyone out there, you folks, have all the gifts together. And when you're unleashed and when you're using your gifts within this body and within this community, incredible things happen. But they can't happen unless you engage and use your gifts. And so what Paul is saying is we've all been given gifts. And sometimes we look at gifts and say, well, I wish I had that gift or I wish I had... Well, you don't. You have the gift He gave you. Use the gift He gave you. Because that's what's really going to get your fire going and, and get you encouraged. And what I'm saying essentially is this. There are people in this community that you are the only person that can reach them for the gospel of King Jesus Christ. You are the voice. You are the feet. You are the hands. You are the only one. And you run across people every day, and I think it's done strategically via the kingdom, where you are having conversations, you are having contacts, you are having opportunities with people that God is saying, this is the person that you can minister to. This is the person you can encourage. This is the person that you can you know, help out. This is the and, and, and this is what the body of Christ is meant to be, to be unleashed like that. Paul is saying the church, as you offer yourself to God, then God says, okay, now you will find freedom as you offer yourself completely to me. And not only that, I'll give you some gifts and abilities, and then you'll start to use those within the body, within the community, and the church, the kingdom of God, will really take off. Let me give you one last illustration. <clears throat> Some of you right now have been praying for a long time for family members and friends, maybe in another community. Could be a son, could be a daughter, could be parents. I don't know. Maybe a relative or friend. And what have you been praying? God, send somebody, send a Christian, send somebody who loves you to them because they need they need somebody they need they need help they need somebody to come alongside them and i can't be there some of us have brothers sisters that we're praying for in other communities right and you know you can't talk to them they don't want to hear it they they just they won't give you the time of day so what do you pray? You pray, God, bring somebody into their lives who can help them understand the Gospel. Right? Are we praying that prayer? I'm praying that prayer all the time. Do you believe that there are people in other communities that are praying for relatives and friends and family members in this community? Absolutely they are. And they're praying, God... Is there someone in this community that will reach out to my mother or my father or my sister or my brother or my kids or my best friend? Is there somebody that will reach out and show them the love of Christ? Is there someone? Every, you know, you could be, what I'm saying is you could be the answer to that prayer. Let me give you one example real quick. So this week, we got a call from a daughter. And she said, my dad is going to be going in for surgery. Could somebody from the church look in on it? 
So we made some calls, made some contacts, and we reached out. Why? Because she said, there's a church there that loves Christ. I know there's got to be somebody there that will care about my dad. Because I can't get there. I can't be there. But they could. That prayer was answered this week. I mean, it wasn't answered in a way that we, you know, I mean, but it was answered. It's being answered. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying you've been gifted. You've been given opportunity. And people are praying and you're the answer to that prayer. So may God help us to understand that we're not just here to sit and take up space. God has brought us here. He's given us employment in His kingdom, right? He's given us skill set and abilities that only you can use to reach the people that God has called you to reach. And if you start doing that, this community has yet to see what Christ is going to do through this faith community. And it's just going to be an amazing thing. So this week, God's going to give you opportunities. I hope you'll make the most of them. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Father, this is uh, such a practical message. It's easy to talk about and say, Amen, yes, we should, and, but yet <laughs> the altars tend to be like ice. They're easy to slip off of. And uh, we need to tie ourselves, bind ourselves to the altar as Christ was bound to the cross. Help us to follow Paul's instruction to become living sacrifices for you, to be the answer to prayer not only of those who may not be in this community who are praying for friends and relatives and people that they care about in this community, but people that you care about. People that you're waiting for somebody to step up and say, I'll be the person, Lord. Send me. So, Father, may this faith community make a difference one life at a time as we use our gifts for your glory and for your kingdom. And as we bind ourselves to you, Father, thank you that you set us We give you all honor and glory and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.